goes down low. Ball knocked loose. Good defense from Gasol and a turnover. Quickly down the other end, Kyle Lowry reverse. Layup won't go. Leonard the rebound. Back up blocked by Harris. And at last touched by Leonard. It's Philly ball. Andy Green and Tobias Harris, a couple of Long Island kids matching up against each other. That's a pretty good start for Harris. A block shot in his first bucket. Meanwhile, Gasol reaches in and fouls and And it also a superb rebounder pulls up and nails the three-pointer. Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs is shooting 46% from three-point range. And B fakes a three, and it's a three. Kawhi Leonard, he's shooting in this series. Now he's had a 45-point game and a 35-point game. He's shooting 62% through the two games and 58% for the entire playoffs. Redick finds some space, drills another three. J.J. Redick, back-to-back -back jumpers, and it's right back up to 15. Ben Simmons gets in the lane, flips it up and in. All five starters in double figures now for Philly. Leonard, a little crossover, sets up the three. He has become such a good three-point shooter. Leonard with a steal, three on one. Leonard, nice beat. Siakam throws it down. Eight-point game. As we approach a minute remaining, five on the 24, Embiid against Ibaka. Jumper is good. And he's going to Russell Westbrook, rocking the baby to sleep, running down the floor. Kawhi Leonard, six to shoot, looking for some room. Oh, three sixers were around him, and Leonard drills another with another 30-point game. Butler had the big fourth quarter in game two. Embiid for three. Joel Embiid is three for three from downtown here in game three. Blocked by Embiid! Five block shots for Joel Embiid. Embiid fakes, Embiid down the lane! This building is shaking right now. A wire-to-wire -wire victory for the 76ers. An electrifying performance from Joel Embiid. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. Ooh, man. Man, we got to talk ourselves off the ledge. I hope everyone's okay after that game. It was rough, but we're here to break it all down. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. This is episode 120. We are part of the stadium scene dot tv network and part of the overtime media crew joining me tonight to talk all things toronto raptors is richard burfer of pick and pod the official podcast of ball and row rich are you okay man how you doing i'm doing fine i actually uh, went out and bought myself some wine today so i'm just, i've just been sipping on alcohol since last night but yeah no i'm doing great never better how are you doing well with that, I, I will join you. I actually pounded a bottle of wine last night. My wife and I, she's like, yo, you want to get a bottle of wine for the game tonight? I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's just go for it. Uh -huh. And uh, then it turned into, like, nervous drinking, and before I knew it, like, the bottle's empty. So. Yeah. Uh, last night was last night was interesting. Um, I, I felt a little bit more nervous for game two because I felt like the Raptors were just in the game the entire time and they were just missing shots. And it just felt like the Raptors were just about to catch up and make it a game. And I just felt like the Raptors could have won that game. Yesterday was more so like, oh my God, this game just has to end right now. 
other than just like a two-minute burst in the third quarter to make it seven points, it, it was just super one-sided. So it wasn't just as nerve-wracking. It was just full-out depressing, and that's why the wine is coming in handy today. <laughs> Are you um, getting any sense of deja vu? Because, you know, as Raptors fans, we're pretty much used to this type of disappointment. Maybe not this type of performance, because with this team, at least throughout the entirety of the season, uh, we've been pretty spoiled with some really good basketball. But when it comes to this playoff series in particular, um, I'm getting that vibe creeping back into me that makes me snap out of this, you know, false reality to remind me, yo, dude, you're a Raptors fan. This is yeah. the territory that comes with that. Mm-hmm. We just can't really have nice things as Toronto sports fans. I miss the Orlando Magic so much. But, <laughs> like, you have no idea. It's, it's so sad. But I feel like the last two games especially just kind of brought us down to earth because after losing game one to the Orlando Magic, the Raptors just destroyed them destroyed Philly in game one and everyone's on this insane high like we're going to the finals and I think that these past two games kind of brought us down to earth I don't think the series is over just yet I think the Raptors can still win but that being said a lot of things have to be done differently for them to pull this series out because it's I didn't think it was going to be this tough of a series going in because I thought the Raptors had a ton of matchup advantages and especially Joel Embiid not being healthy but it seems like a series now, and I mean, it's. I don't think anything's wrong with a little bit of adversity in the playoffs. No, and it should be expected, right? The the Raptors, to their credit, as I mentioned, they've had a, a really good season. And finishing second, I know it's only second place, but it's still no joke. This is a team that had very high expectations from the jump. Um, and I, I don't know, with Philly being this team that we've acknowledged doesn't really have a bench, their starting five is arguably one of the best, if not the best, in the NBA. I'm not going to take anything away from that. But with the depth that the Raptors theoretically have, we figured, okay, we got this. We can you know, outrun them. Their starters can't go a full 48 every game. But here we are. Like The, the bench isn't showing up. We're going to break this all down in a bit. But now we find ourselves in a deficit. It's only one game. That's what I like to keep telling myself. It's just one game. And if the Raptors can take game four... We have home court advantage back, but that means more than likely if we're going to go for the home court, if that's what we're relying on, this is going to go the whole distance of seven. No, for sure. And the thing is, a lot of people are panicking, like you said, but Raptors come out on Sunday, win game four, game five is back at home. Are the Raptors going to lose two games at home in a series, especially to a team like Philly? I don't know. Probably not. So I think... From what I've noticed, just watching how the world reacts to every single game, game one happens. Everyone's like, no, Philly's done. There's like a 90% chance that the Raptors are going to win. No one's panicking. Game two happens. There's a, like maybe a tiny bit of nervousness, but I don't think Philly really showed that much in game two that would suggest that they're better than the Raptors. And then game three happens. And I mean, look at the American media. They're going off on the Raptors being soft. I mean, everyone's panicking. I'm drinking alcohol. You're opening a bottle of wine. Um, I'm, I'm about to jump off a cliff. So, you know, uh, it's easy to uh, become kind of like a prisoner of the moment. But then you go to sleep, wake up level-headed, and realize that it's still a series. And 
uh, I th- the, the Raptors still have a chance to kind of make something happen here. Do we, all right. So you, you, you touched on something interesting. So there is this case of recency bias that I feel like Raptors fans are very much victims to when there is a devastating defeat such as this. However, we have to remind ourselves, like I mentioned, how good this team is. But when you look at game one, right? Game one was the game that brought the confidence at an all-time high for Raptors fans. Like, I think at that point, people were like, yo, we can really do this. People had this series over in five. I, I wasn't one of them. But people were like, yo, five games tops. We got this. Um, what have you noticed differently from this team um, in terms of on-the-court play that is different from how they were in game one, or is it more that Philly has just amped it up a bit and we're playing pretty much the same? Um, I mean, a little bit of both. The big thing I saw with game one is that the Raptors came out and took advantage of a bunch of different matchups. Kawhi Leonard was insane. Pascal Siakam was insane. And what Philly really did after that is they kind of changed the way they they match up against the Raptors. So you saw Joel Embiid a little bit more on Pascal Siakam. You saw Ben Simmons like really lock into uh, to Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard has still been insanely good, but Ben Simmons has done a little bit of something to at least slow him down from 45 to 30, 35 points a game. Right, right. Uh, but the main thing, and I'll, you have to credit the, the Sixers, they have been really good at closing out on shooters because that's been that's been a pretty big thing in this series. But overall, the main thing after game one is the Raptors just haven't been making shots. Like Danny Green was not good in game two. Kyle Lowry was not good in game three. Um, The bench has been brutal the entire time. And it's almost like the Raptors want Kawhi Leonard to do everything. But fact of the matter is he just can't yeah you uh when it comes to the shooting especially from three-point land like for game one they shot 33 percent from three you sort of want to see that creep up but they still were able to win the game but you contrast that to their three-point uh performance in game two which is at 27 percent and then in game three it's at a 26 percent that's just not going to cut it you're not going to be successful in the playoffs especially in this modern day nba if you're not making your threes and another thing that i noticed last night is they got very very uh scared to take their shots if their name wasn't Kawhi Leonard. Like, there were so many times that Gasol or Kyle Lowry were wide open, and then they second-guessed the opportunity and passed it away from someone that probably wasn't in a better position to shoot than they were. So I can't have my players be apprehensive to take advantage of the moment. They have to be confident, and they have to take those shots. Yeah, and I mean, the big thing that I saw was I mean, you, you just look at the numbers. Kawhi with Kawhi Leonard on the court in this series, the Raptors' offensive rating jumps up to one ten point seven. Ridiculous! Just, this is yeah. on Twitter. When Kawhi is off the court, it's down to fifty four point one, which is <laughs> insane. It's so horribly bad. And what I what I the big thing that I noticed just going into Game Three and the way the Raptors started. Um, you would think that the way they just kind of finished the game, game two off with a little bit more momentum because of how the entire the entirety of game two went. But then you see game three and Philadelphia comes out as the aggressive team. And Philadelphia controlled the tempo, controlled the pace the entire time. And I think that's, that's when the Raptors struggle, when they can't control the pace. And obviously every team struggles when they can't control the pace. And 
a lot of that is on Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry was just not aggressive in game three. And you can just tell the difference between how the Raptors play when Kyle Lowry's pushing the tempo, controlling, dis- distributing the ball, taking shots. And yesterday, yeah, I completely agree with you. They were at the end of the game, they just kind of seemed gun shy. Kyle Lowry wasn't taking shots. Marcus Saul wasn't taking shots. And Marcus Saul and Kyle Lowry both finished the game for a combined minus 54. That was their net, that was their combined net rating. And that's not going to cut it. If you want to win series like this, like don't even think about the bench. If your starters do this, like you, nothing's going to happen here. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's interesting because when you look at how Orlando was able, were able to, you know, scoop one away from the Raptors. The biggest thing that I noticed that neutralized the Raptors in that game was uh, the way Orlando cut off their transition offense. So in other words, when the Raptors are cooking, it's like they get a rebound and they go on these super quick, fast breaks, long passes down the court, or maybe like a complete uh, quarterback pass to Pascal Siakam on the other end for an easy bucket. That is how they succeed, or that is how they uh, like to pace out their, their offense. The Orlando Magic at that point were able to sort of neutralize that, but not completely because, you know, as we see, the Raptors won the remaining four. I think uh, Philadelphia took a page out of Orlando's book. They probably paid really close attention to that. And anytime they shoot a shot, they, and, and obviously when the Raptors are down in the paint, they'll hurry back up in transition and prevent that from happening at all. And when you have a better defensive lineup that the 76ers have compared to Orlando, the Raptors are going to be way out of sorts. They're not going to be able to establish that rhythm no matter how hard they try. Um, so I think in that aspect, you couple that with the lack of shooting, this team needs to improve, right? We can't have Kawhi Leonard play 48 minutes and score all the points. It just can't happen. You're not going to win. Everybody on this team needs to contribute in some way. And like we said, Marcus Hall needs to take those shots. Kyle Lowry needs to be the general on the floor. Danny Green needs to wake the fuck up and hit some threes. He just has to. I have no complaints when it comes to Pascal Siakam. In game two, he was completely outmatched by Embiid. But in game three, when he's being primarily guarded by Harris, the Raptors should recognize that and let him post up against Harris every single time. Harris is not a good post defender. And if Pascal Siakam has that opportunity, the Raptors should just exploit that, and they're not. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Pascal didn't play that bad last night either. He finished with a, something like 20 points on close to 50% shooting. Yeah. He wasn't that bad. He's he's very – I'm very okay with him being the second, the third best player on the court. But, I mean, when Kyle Lowry's not doing what he has to be doing, this team struggles a lot. And I think the Raptors have been intimidated a little bit by just the size that Philadelphia presents. And I think a lot of it has to do with some of the rotations that they might be running. I think a, bi- a big thing with why the Raptors are struggling is they're playing Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet a lot. And when they do that, they just lose a lot of size. And that's when they, and they struggle a lot with it. But at the same time, I mean, we knew going in that the Raptors are going to struggle with the size. So they're, it's all the big, big thing is it's all going to come down to them making shots. And if they don't make shots, they're not going to win. Because, I mean, Philadelphia is going to continue bullying them. Like, if you see them bullying the Raptors on offensive glass, they're the bigger team. The Raptors have to come out. They have to be more aggressive. They got to look like they're hungry. And especially in game four, because if you lose game four, you're going down 3-1. And, I mean, 
call the Raptors soft, call them mentally weak, whatever you want, but it's going to be really, really tough for them to dig themselves out of that hole. Yeah, you can't come back home at a 3-1 deficit. You can't. I know at that point you're coming back to your home crowd and there might be some comfort there to really you know, cushion with, but you cannot come back in that deficit because that means the momentum has completely swung in Philly's favor. And if that happens, I look, they beat us at home once and there's no, you know, it's not, completely outrageous to think that they can do it again, especially if we're in a deficit. So I I think Philly is out for blood and they smell it. And if they can continue to play this way, I don't know how the Raptors are going to stop them. They need to pick it up. They need to do more work with the bench. The bench has been atrocious thus far. And it's look, I'd like to acknowledge this. I I don't want to make it seem like it's all doom and gloom. There is a place to acknowledge when your team kind of sucks. But, but the bench needs to pick it up, and I have no doubt that they will. But if they don't, I think there's some room to blame Nurse as to sticking with these bench lineups that just aren't working. That needs to be cleaned up. But, I mean, that being said, what do you want Nurse to do? Because, like, here's the thing. I'm not going to defend them in this case because I've been a bit of a Nurse supporter this entire season. But, I mean, you're looking at this game. I know Kawhi Leonard played around 32 minutes after the first three quarters. And a lot of people on Twitter are going off that he should be playing like almost the entire fourth quarter. But that would mean Kawhi Leonard's playing about 42, 44 minutes a night. And I mean, if the Raptors got to do this in round two, that's bad. Because if, say they make it past Philly, they're going to play either Milwaukee or Boston and then go on to the NBA championships and play against the Golden State Warriors. They can't do that. They need to get contributions from other players. And I mean... Last night, Lowry was a negative 28. Gasol was a negative 26. Can, do, do these guys really deserve playing any more minutes than they have? Like When you have guys not making shots and not playing well, you have to kind of see what other people can do. And yesterday, Van Vliet couldn't do it. Powell couldn't do it. The Raptors have an eight-man rotation, and you're going to have to play your bench eventually, and the bench just has to step up, and they haven't been doing it. So I don't really blame... Um, Nick Nurse with how he's been playing the bench. I kind of, I don't like how he play uh, how he plays certain matchups. Like for example, if if uh, if Joel Embiid is in the game, I really think that Marcus Shaw Marcus should be in the game matching up against him. But I mean, if if the Philadelphia can survive with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons off on the bench, I think the Raptors should be able to survive three, four minutes with Van Vliet and Norman Powell on the court. You know? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, it's not that I think that the starters should be running a full 48. You can't do that and expect to be successful. What I do think ought to happen is that there should be no time where the three of Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, and Serge Ibaka should be on the floor at the same time. Okay. They have, you know, look... Throughout three games against Philadelphia, the Raptors have scored a total of 292 points. 30 of them have come from the bench. That's it. Meeks, Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet, and Norm. 30 points. You can't have that and expect to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, with that point, yeah, that's a completely fair point. Like I said, I, I can't stand seeing Lauer and Fred Van Vliet on the court at the same time because they just the size just gets to them and they can't really do anything. So if the Raptors can maybe, in game four, 10 minutes of Kyle Lowry, put Fred Van Vliet on for like four minutes, put Lowry back out to finish the quarter, like stuff like that, when you don't, where in that case, you can kind of keep some of your stars in the game the entire time. 
which is something I really like that Philadelphia is doing because you never see they have their their big four. They have Embiid, Simmons, Butler, and Harris, and at least mm-hmm. two of them are on the court all the time. It's what you can notice, right? If the Raptors can somehow do that where they can have either two of Gasol, Leonard, Siakam, and Lowry on the court at the same time, I think that would help them a lot. And the Raptors just haven't been doing it. But at the same time, um, I think I'm just looking at their bench right now, and the bench has to find a way to contribute. And Ibaka's had a lot of trouble matching up against the uh, Philadelphia bigs. Van Vliet literally cannot cover anybody on that on that um, on the Philadelphia team because McConnell's not even playing. He's not in the rotation. Everyone is bigger than him, and Norman Powell is just kind of small because he's always either taking guys like Jimmy Butler, you know. He and I mean, yesterday you see when uh, Van Vliet and Lowry are on the court, Kyle Lowry's stuck taking Jimmy Butler. That's tough. Yeah. And if you're a coach and you're watching that, you gotta be thinking like, Jesus, we gotta do something about that. And that's the thing, right? It, like I said, it's not th- how he... Well, I guess it is how. It's not the minutes that he plays his starters. The starters are getting a decent amount of minutes. It's just when he plays them. Like, it, And this is my biggest thing about Nick Nurse. I think he deserves a lot of the blame, if not most of it. Obviously not all of it because of all the reasons we talked about in the jump of the show. I, I do think he deserves a big chunk of the game, be- um, the blame rather, because he doesn't recognize the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um I think that when you're in a playoff game, especially in round two of a playoff, and you're chasing an NBA Finals, we're not chasing an Eastern Conference Finals, we're chasing an NBA Finals, the margin for error is so, so slim. And you can't allow your guys, your the guys that you trust or your bench or whatever, to quote-unquote figure it out. You need to cut the head off the snake, and you need to pull that leash quick. If they are getting into these slumps and they're not producing on the floor, you have to ride your starters. You have to. You have no choice. You have to get them back in there because what happens is the the starters take the deficit down to like a three to seven point lead for the opposition. All right. And for some reason, Nurse immediately subs in the bench. And when once he does that, that deficit, that within reach deficit, grows to like 18 points. And and it's it almost happens instantaneously. And we're just like, how did this happen? How do you allow a team to go on these runs without making a substitution, or at the very least, calling a timeout. Like, this has been something I've been complaining about all year. He waits till the team goes on a 12- or 14-0 run, and then he calls a timeout. Whereas if you look at the 76ers, Brett Brown last night, Toronto went on like a 6-0 run, and he calls a timeout just to cut off momentum. That's it. You have to do this. You can't let the team go on runs. You can't let them have the momentum, especially in the playoffs, because if you do, you're fucked. Yeah. No, I completely agree. But also the big thing there is, like I said earlier with that um, offensive rating stat, Kawhi Leonard's in the game, 110. Kawhi Leonard's out of the game, 54. It really seems that the main thing is when Kawhi Leonard's not there, it doesn't matter who's on the court. The Raptors are going to struggle. When Kawhi Leonard is on the court, while well, they're going to be playing better, they're going to be catching up to the Philadelphia Sixers. So I think that's the big thing. If the Raptors were playing well, if the shots were going in, if the Raptors kept pl- digging in on defense like they did against Orlando, I don't think we would be questioning Nick Nurse as much. You know, But so shots aren't falling. Everything's going shitty. Then, of course, like a lot of the blame is on Nick Nurse. But at the same time, I mean, the Raptors could have easily won game two. Yeah. They just missed a ton of shots. 
the Raptors could have been in game three. It shouldn't have been a 20-point 20 20 deficit. It shouldn't have been a 12-point deficit in the second quarter. The Raptors came out, and they couldn't shoot. In the fourth quarter, when they, they, when they cut the game close, it was a seven-point lead. The Raptors started the quarter going one for 11 or something, you know? At that point, there's really nothing you can do because Kawhi Leonard comes into the game with like nine, nine and a half minutes left. He played the entire third quarter. He got two and a half minutes to sit, but then you're already down 16. And then like, what are you supposed to do? So I think the big thing with the Raptors is just figuring out how to play without Kawhi Leonard on the court. I don't think it's even the starters. It's just they're not able to play against Philadelphia without Kawhi Leonard. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Yeah, that's, they got to do something, man. It, this can't continue. I can't stress enough how much of a must-win game Sunday is because you can't have that much of a deficit in a series. Um, but like I said, the good news is, is that they're only chasing one. They're only chasing one game, and Nick Nurse has time to make these adjustments. I know it's a little late in the game to be making adjustments, but you got to do it. You you have no choice. Um, so when you, when you examine Nurse's performance... Um, I see a guy that's sort of, it's very reminiscent of Casey. And I don't know if this is something that's been instilled in him uh, that you have to just trust your rotations and trust your guys and not recognize the moment and not recognize when a switch needs to be made. I just can't have that. There is no loyalty. You have to be loyal to winning, not individuals. Shout out to Ryan of Lay Sports. That's not my take. That's his, and it's bang on. Yeah, I I mean, I th- I think Nick Nurse is a little more laid back than Casey is. Um, I, I'm I'm sure a lot of people don't really like that. But you've played with the same guys this entire season. I think you have to just trust them to do something because when only one person, one guy, or sometimes Siakam is playing really well, you got to do something. And obviously, with two 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 nights off, the Raptors have some time to game plan, some have some time to change things up, but. Going into game four, it really all starts with Kyle Lowry being aggressive because if Kyle Lowry, think think back of game two against the Orlando Magic. Kyle yeah. Lowry came out and he was super aggressive and he set the tempo. And that literally just set the tone for the entire game. If the Raptors come out and do that exact same thing in game four, I think they can win. If they if they come out like that and they start making shots and then the bench comes in, hopefully not at all at the same time, I mean then it then it's going to work out. I think what Nick Nurse has been doing um, these first three games is just kind of Raptors get cut the game close. He's like, okay, hopefully the bench can keep it close for at least two minutes and then I can bring my starters in. And the bench just hasn't been able to do that. And I think that's the big thing with what the second the Raptors' second unit has to do. They just have to keep it close. I don't want them to just go on. And, I mean, if they can can go on an insane run, then great. But if they can just keep it close for two minutes so Kawhi Leonard, Siakam, and Lowry can come in and just hopefully take the lead back, that's all he really expects. So that's why that's how I kind of understand that. I kind of understand what Nick Nurse's game plan is. It's hard, to, like you say, it's 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 dumb when you take the starters out and you put all the entire bench in when the Raptors cut it close. But at the same time, do you want the bench to come in when the Raptors are down fourteen in the middle of the first and of the third quarter? No, and- no, 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 no. I, I I guess what I'm saying is, if you see the bench come in and the and the lead is shrunk to like three or four, and then it goes to like ten or twelve, you have to sub them out right then and there. You have Ooh. to be quicker pulling the leash. I guess, but but I mean, 
in in game three, bench comes in with uh, when they're up seven. In two minutes, the lead is fourteen, right? But you have like you have to rest rest your starters. You can't run them into the ground. You can't run your starters forty four minutes because if the Raptors just immediately when something goes wrong. You put all your all your starters in every single time it happens. Guys are going to be playing 40, 44, 45 minutes, right? Because the same thing happened in the second quarter when the Raptors just couldn't really score with their second unit. Philadelphia took a double-digit lead. You can't just put your starters in. Because if you do that in the, se- in the second quarter and you do that again in the fourth quarter, starters are playing 46 minutes. And at, and if you're doing that, and especially if you're considering that the season uh, the series might go six, seven games, the Raptors would just be th- running these guys into the ground. I think the main thing going forward is the Raptors just have to figure out how to make shots because if you're watching game three and game two, they're missing a ton of open looks. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, you can't. it's the playoffs. You can't miss those looks. I mean, Marcus Gasol, I don't think he's really known for hitting uh, corners three-pointers, but you got an open look. You got a ton of those. You got to make those. Danny Green, he's open. Make those shots. Serge Ibaka is open on the elbow. You got to make those shots. Fred Van Vliet has a had like two or three open shots. He missed it. And at that point, if you're not making these open shots, there's really nothing you can do as a coach. You're just kind of sitting there like a sitting duck going like, shit, my guys are open and they're missing. And at, at that point, you're it's uh, that's why I blame the team for it. I like obviously there's you can blame Nick nurse because there are things that he's done wrong, but I think the majority of the blame is on the players. And I think we talked about this with the Jays a while ago, how everybody always is so quick to blame John Gibbons. Yeah. But not the one going onto the field with the baseball bat trying to swing. No, he's, it's his, it's the coach's job to put his team into the correct position to win. And while he hasn't done that all the time, I think it's up to the Raptors to, make the shots when they come easily you know and when the te- when the shots aren't falling then the raptors start to kind of get a little mentally weak and then you can see the other team explode which is what philadelphia has been doing you mentioned that the raptors need to set a tone i i i don't know if this is what you meant but i'm just going to float this out there sure. a lot of the raptors opponents thus far well both of them being orlando and philly they established the tone of being physical right away and when you establish the tone of being physical, it makes those ticky-tack fouls less likely to be called, right? So if a ref is seeing you play physically and, you know, really uh, – the foul has to be obvious in order to be called when you're playing a very physical nature. Whereas if you're playing a little bit conservative or soft, those ticky-tack fouls that the Raptors are getting called uh, against – they're they're just going to keep adding up because you're not setting that tone. Do you think the Raptors are playing too soft on defense? And if they are, do you think they should just come out? I'm not saying swinging, like don't you know purposely injure someone, but at the same time, like don't be fucked around, man. Like play a little bit of a bully role. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And yesterday, you you, you kind of saw the way the referees officiated that game. Philadelphia came out aggressive, so they got the majority of the calls. The Raptors, they weren't really aggressive, so. Every every time like you're a fan and you're watching the game and you're like that's a foul, wasn't really called. Uh, first of all, r- officiating was kind of shitty yesterday. It was. But, yeah. I mean, oh my god, it made me want to kill myself. But I mean, the Raptors got to be more gr- more aggressive. Like the Philadelphia Sixers looked like they were they wanted to win yesterday's game. The Raptors did not, and it showed on in 
every aspect of the game and every aspect of the box score. The Raptors don't come out wanting to win game four. They're going to be shit on. They're going to lose by 20 again. I don't know if that's from the top down kind of thing. I don't know if Nick Nurse, because obviously Nick Nurse can tell them, you know, all he wants, you know, set the tone, be aggressive, be physical. It's up to them to do it on the floor because there were there were times and timeouts where you heard. Um, I don't know if you saw the audio or heard the audio rather, but Nick Nurse was like screaming, take that shot, take the open shot. No, don't pass it off. So there's only so much he can do. I'm not sure if this is systematic. I don't know if this is like the Raptors way. I don't know. But this needs to change. Like, this is Philly basketball we're talking about. Kyle Lowry is supposed to be the embodiment of that. Like, this pit bull physical mentality, don't fuck with me. Like, I was expecting him to do something sneaky after he got elbowed to the balls by Simmons. Like, I was expecting Kyle Lowry to come back and return the favor. There was none of that. And I kind of want to see it. I kind of want to see them retaliate in a way. Just throw Eric Moreland in there. Let him throw hands just to get kicked out. Just to set a tone. Just to get the team riled up and aggressive. I don't see, again, I don't want to see fighting, but at the same time, I feel like there's a place for it if the opposition is clearly and purposely trying to hurt you. Yeah, like you got to do something to rally, to literally rally up the troops. I'm not a big proponent to swinging shots, but I mean, get physical, push, maybe a hard foul. Like you got to get your team going. And when your team is just flat, you got to do something to just really set the tone. And when Ben Simmons uh, hit Kyle Lowry in the balls, it's like nothing happened. Kyle Lowry screamed at the ref for a couple of seconds, then ran back. And the Raptors just kept playing soft style basketball. And the like the Raptors are the better team in my mind still. No matter no matter how the past three games are, I think the Raptors are still a better team, which is why I still give them a shot to win. But they gotta come out as the aggressor. They gotta come out as a team that like on paper, if you think they're a better team, they gotta come out and show it on the court by being aggressive. Be the first one to punch Philadelphia in the mouth on on Sunday. Well, that brings up an interesting point. And look, I'm sort of reluctant to Put this out there, but as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm getting that feeling of deja vu. So let's just go for it. Um, on a previous show here, um, Jordan Kligman correctly pointed out that the Raptors' issues in the playoffs are clearly not a result of the presence of LeBron James. LeBron contributed to their struggles, but clearly there's a systematic flaw in the way they approach playoff games. And I don't know if that's an overreaction, but at the same time you examine how they performed in these past two games or the three total losses they've had in the playoffs thus far, you can see that there's something wrong with how they approach playoff games. So, that being said, I want to play a what-if game here. Just placate me sure how much of a failure would it be if the raptors were to drop this series i mean i would sob i'd cry <laughs> i think it would suck a lot it would definitely be a failure because then i'm assuming why leonard's gonna leave there's gonna be a ton of changes i mean i if Kawhi leonard leaves i can't imagine the raptors not hitting the reset button right yeah and so i mean that's what the series means and the Raptors got to wake up and realize that because this might be kind of like their last hurrah. And honestly, I'm, I'm going to cry. I've been a Toronto fan since 1994 when I was born. I haven't seen a single championship parade. Like They got to get their shit together and do something for me for a change. <laughs> Exclusively for you, too. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Because last year, you, you examined the, the sweep in the second round. 
You mm-hmm. look at it, you know, third time in a row, we, they get beat by LeBron, and you say, there are options, right? There are things that we can pinpoint on this team that they can do to improve, like fire Casey. That that was something that I thought had to happen. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily have Trey DeMar DeRozan, but I wasn't really ruling it out. I don't know how you improve from this. Um, I mean, at this point, if Kawhi Leonard leaves, guys are getting older. Kyle Lowry is on the decline. He's already, what, 31 years old or something? I think he's 33. <gasps> okay, there we go. I mean, how much more can Kyle Lowry? I don't think if he can't really rise up to the occasion as an organization, you gotta you gotta look at your point guard and say you need to do something better and you need an upgrade. And if Kawhi Leonard leaves, I think you've got to start rebuilding the team around a guy like Pascal Siakam. And ever since the Raptors drafted him, I've been a big fan of the guy. I've kind like don't call me crazy, but I kind of compared him. Something to like a Giannis, uh, something like a Giannis, because that's not crazy just, at all. Yeah, because he's he's not as long, he's not as big, but he's long. He can he can um he's very athletic, super high motor. He can shoot better than Giannis can, yes. especially from the corners. Uh, he's not the as good of a distributor as Giannis, but he's a really good passing big man. Like you saw the chemistry he had last year with uh, Jakob Pertl, like. Pascal Siakam is the future of this team. And if the Raptors can't pull this one out, as you click the reset button, hope, you hope that OG Ananobi can become something better than he is right now. And then you you kind of start from square one. And that's kind of how sports works. Like you get to the very top, you either win or you lose. And then it's kind of like the cycle of sports. If you don't win at the end, you got to hit the reset button and start start from the very beginning. The problem there, though, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but like here's my conundrum with that. When you have this sense of reset, yeah, I don't think what you're saying is blow it up. You just need to like have a new cast of characters specifically around Pascal Siakam. Yeah. When you do that, if you trade away a Kyle Lowry or and or you trade away a Serge Ibaka, mm-hmm. um, you it, first of all they're going to be difficult to trade, especially with the money that they have for the final year of their contract and their age. But at um, the same time, it is an expiring contract, which could yes. be valuable. Yeah. Um. You probably expect Gasol to pick up his player option. That being said, in a perfect world, let's say you're able to trade one of Kyle and or Serge. I just don't know that you have enough there to not finish outside the playoffs. Like I, I want nothing to do with an eighth seed, right? Because then you have a shitty draft position, and you're probably getting booted out of the first round, and you're not really progressing you're not really building towards anything you're just kind of like stuck in limbo this is what i fear for the raptors like if you really want to commit to building around pascal siakam you kind of gotta tank with him on the team no i completely agree and i mean right now the raptors don't really have a draft pick this upcoming season uh this upcoming off season you you got you you got to do something and the raptors had a really good run with kyle lowry they've been um, one of the top Eastern Conference teams for five, six years. And even if you trade one of them in the East, the Raptors can still compete. I think Pascal Siakam can still get better. Marcus Gasol is going to opt in, so he's still going to be around. He's not saying no to $25 million. And I think Marcus Gasol is still a very valuable player, um, despite his age. I think the bench is better than they've played in this this off, uh, these, these playoffs, especially in Philadelphia. I just think against Philadelphia is just such a big mismatch for the bench because of the size. But, I mean, 
I, th- I think I think the Raptors have pieces to build for the future. So I wouldn't say they need a complete rebuild because Pascal's still there. Fred Van Vliet is still locked in. Norman Powell is still locked in. OG Ananobi is still locked in. You have like that core piece in Pascal Siakam. But if the Raptors don't make it out of this series, you've got to do something different. And you change the coach. Right now, you kind of have to look at Kyle Lowry. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Well... Having said that, let's go on the opposite end of the what if. What if, and this is so, like, everyone knows that I'm trying to keep it even keel. I hope people are still with us right here. I'm not trying to get negative, so let's go into the positive. What if the Raptors succeed in this playoffs, succeed in this round, which I think they will. I still think they will. If they were to succeed in this playoff round, get to the Eastern Conference Final, presumably facing the Bucks, are you confident with that matchup, given what we've seen thus far? Well, if they proceed from this round, given how the past two games went, I'm going to crack another bottle of wine and I'm going to start playing <laughs> the parade. Um, I think I think the Raptors can't compete with every single team in the East. I think that I, I honestly think that in Game Three, the Raptors look as bad as they could ever look. Yeah, and I think that the Raptors weren't as good as they looked last night, and I don't think Philadelphia is as good as they looked last night. So I think last night was kind of just like an outlier. I, I agree with you. I think the Raptors still have a chance to win. And if they proceed and they face the Bucks or face those, the Boston Celtics, I think they can beat both those teams. And especially if the Raptors can just start playing better. I mean, you can see that Giannis has struggled a little bit against Al Horford. The Raptors have pieces who can defend against Giannis and can maybe slow him down a tiny bit. And if they slow him down a tiny bit, they can pull that out and, make it to the finals and if they make it to the finals i'm going to be the happiest human being on the planet absolutely you know we've been talking 39 minutes and to to be fair 39 minutes of kind of pointing out the negatives of this raptors team so there are some positives right as you mentioned kyle lowry had a rough game one against orlando and he bounced back very well in game two against him against them rather and he you know sort of kept it going for the remainder of that series well look at game two for the Raptors in this series. Kyle Lowry, even though they lost the game, Kyle Lowry had 20 points, five dimes, five boards, and just north of 42 minutes. Okay, so Kyle Lowry is definitely capable of amping it up. I have no doubt that after a bad performance last night in Game 3, that he will bounce back Sunday and have a very solid game. This is his environment, right? I was talking to a Philly fan, a Philly actually um, talk show host or podcast host about this. He He's also a Villanova graduate. He said, Kyle Lowry will thrive in this situation. He will thrive in that environment because he's so used to it. And that is what he was like pretty much established as a basketball player growing up. This is his environment. This is his milieu. So having said that, I do think Kyle Lowry is due for a bounce back. And I do think Danny Green is due for a huge bounce back. He has to. We need to see one of those performances where he's nailing seven threes in a row and the crowd, I guess in Philly, will just go silent and we're just eating it all up. That is what needs to happen. Gasol needs to have an outstanding passing performance, which I think he's capable of, and everything will just click just fine. If they're honed in, this Raptors team has proven that they are capable of beating anyone. Mm -hmm. And the thing with Kyle Lowry is 
he, for the most part, he's been really good in these playoffs. And during the Orlando series, he finished this, the series being like plus 104 when yeah. he was in court. Even in game one, when he had zero points, he led the Raptors in plus minus. And the plus thing, 11, yeah. Yeah, the thing with Lowry is he doesn't have to score to be effective. He just does so much on the court when he's on to help his team win. It's his defense. It's his ability to draw charges. It's his ability to push the tempo, distribute the ball. You rebound. He, like, look at Tobias Harris trying to back this guy up in the post. He can't. He just has right. to throw the ball out. Kyle Lowry is so much more valuable than people think he is because of everything he does. Like, in game two, Kyle Lowry finished with 20 points. He had two really big shots. If the game went an extra minute, I think the Raptors would have won that in game two. Game three was really bad. But other than game three, I don't think he had one really bad game in the series. So, like you said, I feel like Game 3 was just a huge outlier and everyone's panicking, but I don't think it can get any worse. I think the Raptors are going to just... And I don't think the Raptors are the type of team to panic because they understand that they're a good team. So they're just going to go back, watch the game tape, hopefully make some adjustments, and come out and compete in Game 4. They have to. And I think Kyle Lowry is going to be better. He can't get any worse. And, th- I mean, these playoffs, he's shown that he's been good he's done everything the raptors needed him to do for the most part it's interesting that you say that because i remember seeing the graphic i want to say the score put it out on twitter um the graphic of kyle lowry's uh playoff performance and how it's actually better than westbrook's right but you don't see russell westbrook getting nearly half the heat that kyle lowry gets and i feel like this narrative although sometimes fair like he does have bad playoff performances it does happen but i just feel like they're super ultra highlighted and just put out there but when he has a good playoff performance nothing is said so i feel like it's the recency bias that i referenced in the jump of the show People like to pay attention to the bad performances because they've been conditioned to think that Kyle Lowry chokes in the playoffs. But when you actually do a deep dive and look at the numbers, just the standard numbers, you don't have to look at the advanced analytics, just the standard box score in his playoff you know, career totals, it's really not that bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to jump too far into the analytics, but with Lowry on the court, instead of... Uh, Fred Van Vliet, the Raptors' offensive rating jumps by like 50 points. Yeah, It's insane. And I think the reason Lowry gets so much hate is just because people don't really understand everything that Lowry does on the court. They don't really understand how important Lowry is on the team. So if he scores like seven points or zero points or two points, they're like, oh my God, this guy is supposed to be scoring. No, Kyle Lowry isn't on the court to be a primary scorer. He's on the court to literally set up the entire offense. When the Raptors are playing how they did in game one, it's literally because of how fluid the offense looks. And Kyle Lowry orchestrates that. The reason why the Raptors are so dynamic against Orlando is because Lowry is there pushing the offense. He's not the guy who's supposed to score. That's Kawhi Leonard. That's Pascal Siakam. Kyle Lowry is there to do everything. And he's behind the scenes literally orchestrating everything, drawing the charges, pumping the team up. And if the Raptors come out, Kyle Lowry drops a three, Kyle Lowry dishes a good dime on the other end of the court, he takes a charge, the Raptors are going to be hyped up. The motivation is going to be there. It's going to be amped up, and the Raptors are going to really play like they want to win. And it's it's exactly what we've been saying with him. It's specifically with him. They need to set the tone. They need to establish this 
tone of physicality, and I think at that point they'll benefit, especially Kyle Lowry. There's this you know growing phrase that we've established for Kyle Lowry on Twitter, just don't poke the bear. Because when he gets angry, he thrives, man. He just kicks it up to the next level. I'm surprised he, like, I don't want to call back to it too much, but I'm surprised it didn't happen after the Simmons fucking elbow nut punch. Yeah. I, I just need him to get angry. I need him to want it. I need him to will this game because it's not just the players on the floor. It's also Nick Nurse, as we've been talking about. Everybody but Kawhi and Pascal has been playing to not lose, not play to win. When you play to not lose, you're playing conservative. But when you're playing to win, you flip it. You just will it to happen. That is what the Raptors need to do. They need to be aggressive. They need to set the tone, and they need to come out swinging. Because if they don't, dear Lord, this is going to be another bad year as a Raptors fan. Yeah, and I I think we will know what kind of Raptor team comes out in game four just based on how they come out in the first quarter. If they come out aggressive, setting the tone early, Lowry's pushing the tempo, I think the Raptors have a really good chance to win. But if they come out slow, lackadaisical, letting uh, Philadelphia establish themselves, um, I think I think it's going to kind of go off the rails. So what I'm looking for in game, in game four is just how the Raptors come out because they need to come out as their aggressive team. All right, well, let's just run that down real quick. So the Raptors, as we said, down 2-1. They have Game 4 in Philly on Sunday. And contrary to perception, or perhaps it's our collective intuition regarding Sunday afternoon games, the Raptors have performed pretty well this year at that time slot. Games no later than 4 o'clock on a Sunday, the Raptors have won 4 out of 6 of them. So January 13th, they won in double overtime in Washington. That was a 1 o'clock game. February 3rd, they won against the Clippers, a 3 o'clock game. February 24th, they lost against Orlando. That was a 3.30 game. March 10th, they won at Miami. That was a 3.30 game. March 17th, I remember that game, they lost at Detroit. That was a 4 o'clock game. And April 7th, they won versus Miami, a 12 o'clock game. So given the gravity of the situation that we've been talking about, This is a must-win game, and it is perhaps their first must-win game throughout the entire year. I can't think of a game that I was like, they have to win this game. This is a must-win game. Having said that, do you think they're going to pull it off? Um, As a Raptor fan, I'll say yes. I think they're going to make the necessary adjustments and come out wanting to win, and I think they're going to tie the series up at two. It's hard for me to believe the Raptors are going to lose three games in a row because they're still a really, really good team. And I just think game three was just as shitty as it can get. So I I trust my squad. They've only lost three in a row once this year back in November. And obviously that's a month into the season when they're not familiar with each other. The chemistry hasn't been established. So I think you're right. I think the, the numbers show that they're very unlikely to lose three straight. I thought that was unlikely they lose two straight. Three straight, that's egregious. That's bad. So I think when with their backs against the wall, I just think Kawhi's just going to go off. I think he's just going to be like, fuck all this shit. I'm in. I'm I'm winning this game for us. And I think that's going to inspire everybody else on the floor to amp up their performance, keeping my fingers crossed. I'm saying they take this in Philly, period. Okay, inject more of that into my veins. That's it. I'd love that. That's it. All right, well... Until then, the Raptors have a day off tomorrow. We're recording this Friday night. So they have a day off tomorrow. And then we have all morning Sunday into the afternoon to be worried about this. I don't know about you, but I'm just probably going to be like 
pacing around my house, nervous eating things and just getting ready for this game. And maybe I'll buy another bottle of wine. Uh, hopefully you'll do the same and just have a relaxing Sunday minus the pacing, you know? So yeah. yeah. What kind of wine do you drink? Because here's, here's kind of how I went at it today. Um, I went grocery shopping and I'm really trying to be classy and also I'm kind of trying to become an alcoholic because I'm in grad school. And I asked the lady who works there, like, what kind of what kind of wine do you prefer? Uh, would you suggest? Because I'm a really big sweet wine guy. And she looks at me and she's just like, wait, you're a dude. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah, yeah, I'm a dude. She gave you a uh, Moscato? She, the thing is, I got Moscato last weekend. Jeez, it was awesome. But today I got a Pinot Grigio. And it's, it's actually going down pretty well right now. So what, I'm not, you, what did you eat with it? Um, nothing yet. I'm having dinner after this pod. What are you I'm having? Just, um, I got some salmon. Um, good choice. I think probably burn in the oven. That's all right. Yeah. While um, I was preparing. stupid, but you know. Hey. Uh, Pinot Grigio is good. That's my favorite white. If I'm going to go with a red, um, my wife and I just go for the Apothic red. It's like a blend. It's beautiful. It, it's just the. Pr- that sounds sexy. You, have you had it ever? No. I've never heard of it in my life. Apothic red. Jesus, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, man. Apothic red. Um. One night, it was my buddy's uh, engagement party. We went to his sister-in-law's house, and I just took this bottle of wine, poured it in a glass, and I'm just like, this is the best-tasting wine I've ever had in my life, and it was full. The night ends, and I'm just, like, emptying these bottles of wine into the cup. I killed, like, two bottles, dude. They go down so smooth. Wow. Trust me, man. Apothic Red. Bomb. You'll love it. If we ever do a wine podcast together, we can get the <laughs> from the from the grocery store to come on and tell us how white wine is for pussies. So, um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. Apothic red wine. I'm gonna yeah. do that. Why not? Beautiful. It's good it's stuff, man. I'm telling you, Sunday goes off the rails. I might as well get two bottles. Just have them ready. Like go uh, Saturday night, just so you have them ready, and oh, yeah. then Sunday in the afternoon, just pour yourself a glass. And if it goes off the rails, just open the other bottle and just chug it from the bottle. Yeah, start the game off just sipping from a glass. Third period comes, you're just chugging from the bottle. That's it. That's it, man. It's my That's thing. Three in a nutshell, right there. <laughs> that is the microcosm of being a Toronto sports fan, right there. Just drink Apothic Red. Um, all right, dude. I appreciate you coming on. I, I'm glad that we were able to find some positives in this. And these kind of conversations talk me off the ledge and make me realize, like, hey, we still got we still got some work to do. We can do this. So um, having said that, this is your time to shine. Promote any and everything you got going on, your podcast, where people can find you on Twitter. Go for it, man. Floor is yours. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. I love being on here and talking Raptors, talking Jays with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Richard Burfs. Um, got a lot going on. I'm in grad school, wrapping that up, doing a lot of baseball pitching research. Um, got a couple of pods going on, uh, the pick and pod. I also have pitching to contact. We just had a couple of really, really cool guests. If you're baseball fans, Kyle Bodie was on it. Uh, we had Emily Walden from the athletic on it. Check that out. And I mean, we'll see what the future has in store. Absolutely, man. All the links to those shows, all the links to it, your Twitter, the pick and pod, Twitter, a ball and roll, everything will be in the description for the show. I highly encourage everybody to subscribe, follow, all the above. Dude, thank you for coming on. Enjoy your wine. Enjoy your salmon. And uh, go Raptors for Game 4, man. Yes, sir. Thank 
you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors.